In this episode, New Rituals, Ryan sits down with the Tetra and Sacramento Knox. Together, they discuss how hip-hop, visual art, performance, and new media operate as forms of ancestral and spiritual technologies designed to reclaim space and shift narratives. This episode was recorded remotely during the COVID-19 pandemic. Hello, everybody. My name is Ryan Myers Johnson. I'm the executive director of Sidewalk Detroit, and I am so honored and excited to be here with you today. Um, today, we are talking about artists in Detroit and the amazing work that they ha- are making and some of the work that they've presented at ArtX Detroit. Um, I am so proud to be able to interview the Tetra today, which is a creative interdisciplinary duo composed of Sharina Sharp and Chase Morris, whose work defies categorization. And I'm gonna let them tell us all about it. We are also joined by Sacramento Knox, an interdisciplinary artist whose work spans across electronic music, indigenous history, and interactive work filmmaking, also an artist who defies categorization. So I just want to start off with the Tetra. Can you guys tell us more about your creative practice, how you work together, and how you came to be the Tetra? I think like the best way to describe the Tetra, the Tetra is uh, the way we like to do it, is an underground. So it's like a, it's an open secret lion-hearted people who are looking for looking to be free so freedom is the art of like becoming your highest self and freedom in our opinion is a life you don't have to escape from so this the tetra and what we do is a digital underground railroad um it's a journey of rituals ancestral technologies um spirit work to activate the radical remembering that healing and wholeness is in fact our birthright here we kind of imagine a world beyond depression beyond survival and we don't only survive we thrive and thrive is like to sing to dance to drum and the question into the storm and i think that's like super important during this time of quarantine of trying to project the future while dealing with the past wow i don't know if i could ever say anything that amazing <laughs> and then full <laughs> of that much vision and beauty and freedom and a call to action mm-hmm. um so i just want to break it down a little bit more what what do you utilize um from genres to take forms of expression to advance your mission in the world everything is rooted in ritual and moves out from there we we use a lot of art to churn the ritual and we look at it as all like pouring back into the spirituality of everything. So there's a lot of music rooted in a ton of music, a ton of um, like poetry, in literature, um, a lot of dance. So we're looking at art as like the way that the soul expresses um, expresses what transcendence needs to happen. Yeah, like our medium is, I think, it's our joy. I think our medium is our joy, the things that kind of like every day bring us a certain amount of happiness and a certain amount of like electricity and light us up has turned into all the things we pour into this in sacred eye. Wow. So it sounds sort of like the Tetra is a lifestyle and a vision and sort of a spiritual practice. Yeah, I would say so. Absolutely. 
let's bring Knox into the conversation. Knox, tell us about your work, um, interviewing you as well as the Tetra. I said, I don't think I can describe <laughs> what these people do in an intro. They just have to do it themselves. Tell us about what Sacramento Knox is about. I think what, what best describes it is just uh, and a little bit of that with that is the language here, uh, rooting myself in that language and teaching is just like, okay, like many millions of people did the same type of reading coming before to be here. And I feel like what I do sometimes is like, I bring the past to the future and I bring the future back here. And I just like a time travel with this art. And that's all I think about uh, sometimes. Um, Cause like the things you, you leave here or will leave here um, while people enjoy it now or later on or, or decades later, I feel like what I create uh, is just a part of like a sacred, like a sacred story that's always happens, always going. And I just have a little bit of the responsibility and the duties to help, uh, you know, initiate some of those things, help people tell their stories. Uh, while I tell mine, we all just weave it together like a big spider web. So um, a lot of the, I'd say a lot of my art is creation, but it's really like a lot of it's rooted in like uh, airbending, which is like music and sound. And uh, from there, it just, it, it expands and, and just enters the world of creation. Uh, and that's what I said in some of that, that greeting. I was just like greeting myself to creation. And that's what I would say that what I, what I am and do is just, uh, you know, I'm one small piece of, piece of dust uh, contributing to the whole dynamic infinity of creation. And, you know, it's just a, a grateful thing to do. So uh, a, lot of my, a lot of my work is, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's all the, the human complexities and the intricacies and the contradictions. And, uh, and everything. So I feel like uh, just trying to reflect our spiritual experience here is what I do and what my work is. Thank you. And I'd like to honor the the language and the words that you shared with us. So would you mind going a little bit deeper into um, what language are you speaking and what culture are you referencing in your work? So that's a, that's the OG language, uh, the now and forever language of the Anishinaabe which is the land here. And one way to say that is like, that's the language everything can communicate with each other, the spirits, the land, the water, the, the food, the everything. So that, that's the original language of all the energy in this area. Cause there's a lot of lands that have different energies and descriptions of it. So this is one way that uh, we're communicating with the sacred here in this area. One of the original ways is here. So uh, that's just original language, and uh, it come, there's like a lot of visualization, and it really informs my work. People often say it's it's dying out, but I just feel different now. <laughs> I, I, I say it's now and forever, so the language is now and forever. And you're speaking it, so it's definitely not dead. And so just in thinking about um, the land and, and the way that ritual plays out in some of your work, let's dive into the work that you did for AXT. Knox, can you tell us uh, what were you exploring and, and how did it go? My art is very like, I'll say we are, but most of it is like collected and sharing and building together. Um, so it's like uplifting that. And it's also, I would say like it's part uh, decolonization work as well, just to kind of put those uh, 
those things that were now forever back into place and to uplift them and to bring it to the collection of, hey, these are spiritual times or important times that are happening within this specific timing, you know? Like when I say timing, I, I feel like where the sun and the moon fits in the rotation, which is like the fall. So with that land and that fall, there's like the vibe, there's really a vibe during that. So one of those vibes is that is that spirit play. So it's like uplifting that spirit play and what we do during that time. There's a few different things that happen in there. Uh, and there's like a blending of things. So it's like, we look at the fall sometimes, it's Thanksgiving, uh, which which is part for the most part, you know, when some of those first settlers came, that there was like a greeting, you know, they're showing the ways and spirit play because like, that's just part of the culture. Like we're sharing with each other, but not just our human places and spaces, but our universal infinity, uh, you know, like timeline and stuff. And that spirit plate was just trying to, uh, it's there that's meant us to connect us with, uh, you know, the spirits, the before, after, and now, and, and just really bring that time to uh, remember and focus that uh, specifically in this area, because the winter comes and the winter is a, uh, is a teaching in itself. But that, that portion there is to like give thanks because we have to head on a journey. We have to move forward. And these are instructions to get through this winter time. Mm. So that it's just part of like original instruction. So uh, during uplifting this time in the fall, uh, it's a special thing for me. You know, it's a special time for me. And uh, it's also my grandmother's uh, name, which is Falling Leaves. So it's like represents that time and energy for her. So it's it's a... a as parts personal, the spirit plate too, but also like reminding and sharing some of these gifts and the work that happens with that. And of course, like uh, when I share this stuff, it's also sometimes it feels like, oh, that's the old or traditional native way, or like it's kind of past, but like I was mentioning, it's now and like there's new things, like, you know, there's Twitter now and like uh, all, <laughs> all types of tools you can utilize. So it's just like, bringing the tools of the now and the past and connecting those things. And that, that was a big portion of spirit play. So we had like altars that were, had projections and like, you know, you would have images of photos where there was projected. So we had a lot of those, those themes that were traditionally happened during our time, but just kind of infusing what we're doing now in our time. So rather than having a separate practice of this is the traditional way and this is, uh, uh, you know, contemporary it's it's a mixture of like this is the infinity way so spirit plate is really you're looking at changing of the seasons preparation for winter as well as kind of melding the the history the stories and the traditions that are old you know with whatever we're doing now just really creating a it sounds like yeah creating a synergy between then and now into I can't speak as wide as you, but into an infinite plane. It sounds amazing. So you mentioned creation of altars as well as uh, video work. Um, I find it looks like you utilize a lot of different genres from, from film to light, to music, to dance, to interactive work. Um, where do you start when it comes to thinking about um, how you want to utilize these different um, genres of art to to explore uh, whatever you, is on your mind. Uh, I think uh, what's the what's the word? Um, and there's a saying. It's, we had I had a little saying. It was like a little slang we were saying, and like in around the crew. Um, but the what 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 happens? I would say at the end of the day is the the transmission. I would say it's like did this did I was I able to help bring it you know, from A to B and during from that point from A to B was the whole 
you know, the whole journey, the creation, the art and what's happening. So when I create or begin to create, uh, I look at what's the destination, like, where is this going to go? How is this useful? You know, uh, that's, a, that's, that's how I've been like focusing every um, moment is like, how is this useful? Who is this for? Is this for me? Is it for the homies? Is it for my grandmother? Is it for community? Like, who's it for? Is it for everybody? So um, just really looking at that and then thinking about, okay, all right, they're going to like this. They might like this. And I know how to do a little bit of that. So it's like finding those connections and those relations and just saying, oh, I, just expanding the story. So like to me, it's like, you know, um, I just seen some great hood storytellers when I was young. I just like, they just, they just got the square in their mouth and they're going off. And it's just like, my mind's like, holy fuck, like this is like going down. And so it's like, I'm trying to translate those childhood memories of like, you know, you know what I'm saying? The the cousins and the uncles or the cousins like look here and like check this out and you know, and that that little bit of, you know, that feeling I got is just what I'm trying to replicate now. But then now it's like videos, it's sound, it's uh, installations, it's uh, text, it's uh, live live wind and, and poetry. So um, it's just like trying to put all those things together. So it's it's just really thinking about that where it goes and then um, then when I can't find out where it goes, I just, you know, what's the sense? You build it, they'll come. So it just build something here and if people, it gravitates and it's for that. And then I'm just move, you know, I just uh, kind of just uh, hop around and, and build. That is amazing. And it, it's, it really makes me think about um, the Tetra and the work that um, you all are doing as well. Um, just really bringing people together in these um sort of amazing ways and utilizing multiple different genres to um, to self-actualize and to, to tell stories. So could you tell us more about um, the work that you were exploring uh, with your AXD project? Absolutely. This is, this is such a cool, timely like interview to be in in a space that we're excited about because I think that the work that we explored at Freedom School is very, very, um, very much in conversation and connected spirit in us. So it's like, it's an honor to be in this conversation together. Um, we built something called Freedom School and you'll have to forgive me because all of this is very new to us. Mm. As far as like the Tetra, it's, it's a big secret. So most people, like some of our dearest friends don't know that we're the Tetra. So this is very strange to show up and be like, hi. <laughs> uh, it's all very anonymous and run as a digital underground railroad where people don't, we have code names and things like that, but people don't know who's churning what mm. inside the Tetra. Um, and we never, ever, ever talk about what goes on in the actual rituals, but we decided to suspend that for two reasons. One, you know, we're in COVID, we're in pandemic and as we want to be open and as many people that need access to ritual and healing during this time that we want to be an open invitation for that. And two, because of the present company, like how can we turn down an interview with you and not like, <laughs> and how can we during this time not have this conversation about the meaning of like spirit work and how, how there's a, there's a shift that's happening and there's a decolonizing that's happening and 
how do we gather together and start churning some of that energy towards what it is that we want. So, so this is a little bit new for us mm. um, as far as just being out in the open. <laughs> but we're going to do that for the sake of, of whatever's coming next. But here's, here's what we can tell you about Freedom School. We have like certain promises to the people that are there that like most of it is secret. Mm. But but we um we invited people on this basis. We asked them to think back to their time in school and outside of test scores and grades, could they honestly say that school emotionally prepared them for adulthood, especially adulthood in oppression? You know, did school help them walk through any major losses in their life? You know, did it help deal with any sort of seething anger or the growing numbness? Like where the hell were the classes at that helped you walk through oppression? Mm. So we built a night of rituals, a large scale community ritual performance. Um, and we led people through 20 mini rituals that combined ancestral tech traditions um, with modern black and brown spiritual technologies. We blended lyric poetry, rap as a form of conjuring, a shadow choir, Afro-Caribbean drumming and visual art installations. In the art world, we call them installations. In our world, we call them altars. Into this big gumbo of communal healing. Mm -hmm. it, was a, it was a long night, <laughs> an amazing night. And after that, it has rippled all of these mini rituals where we periodically call community together and we churn whatever ritual is necessary, especially rooting it in music and poetry. Wow, that sounds like it was a transformative experience. And, and you mentioned um, a couple of things that I want to unpack a little bit more because um, it sounds revolutionary. So tell me about spiritual Wait, technology. Uh, sure, like, so like, I think for us, at least for me in thinking about it, like spiritual technologies are certain things that feel innate. You don't quite know why they feel innate or things you're kind of innately called to. And like for me in the communities that I kind of grew up in, a lot of those times it was stuff that you felt called to, you wouldn't call sacred, you wouldn't call spiritual, but you didn't know like why you had a certain talent for this rhythm, why you had a certain athleticism, why you had a certain talent putting words together. Mm -hmm. And those kind of connect to other deeper ancestral things. Once you kind of, the more you dig, the more you realize like, oh man, I not only that have ancestral lines in my own family like that, but I also have connections to possible legends and possible spirits and things like that. So these spiritual technologies are the things you kind of, in my opinion, like and it's like things you feel called to that are really sacred and at least in a lot of communities I know sometimes don't get that designation sometimes as mm. a sacred thing. Mm. Um, like for me, rap, hip hop, things like that were both like talked down upon, minimalized, or commercialized, but never seen as like, oh, there's like a spiritual kind of line to that. And it goes back between like, it's, it's manifested here, but that connects to something else. Or like when we would pour our liquor on the concrete and it'd be like, that's libations, but we don't know that language sometimes. Like we don't know that, that cross language. So for me, it's these things that innately kind of manifest for us that we feel connected to that are really sacred things. And now we get to place these sacred labels on top of them. I don't know, but yeah. I'll add to it. I, we've come to the belief um, 
that many of our rituals are in our blood. Right. The great one of one of the great um, traumas of oppression has been the taking of our ritual, the taking of, and we we're looking at ritual as the way that we learn to emotionally cope and survive, the way we learn to celebrate, the way we learn to honor. And all of those things were were taken from us along with language. Um, and we're finding that some of the habits that are built into our muscle memory, if you trace them back, they're ritual. They're the things that we're doing every day that we're not able to name, like that this is sacred, this is amazing. The process of this art, a lot of it has been reclaiming that. Knox, do you resonate with some of those statements? I heard that you you also talked about um, the importance of your ritual and um, you talked a lot about your grandmother and your ancestry. So I wonder if um, if you'd like to comment on the role of sort of ritual and spiritual practice as well within your ongoing practice. Yeah, uh, I think it's just, um, let's see. It's mostly just original ways of being. So it's uh, uplifting that instead of like, what not as original way of being is being, uh, you know, a pawn for capitalism, uh, a tool <laughs> for oppression. So those are not original ways of being. So when I look at uh, that work, that's, I just kind of look at original ways of being with also like new, new ways of being of, uh, you know, new friends, new stories, because that's a part of being is other people's stories as well. So other folks share their stories and experiences, you know, that, that, that opens up a uh, connection and I just call it a web. So um, a lot of that work is like hoping to do the same, you know, hoping to find a web towards something, whether it's a story of hope or it's a, uh, a collective form of rage or it's a technology or it's a method or it's education, you know, it's like it's creation and, you know, you get and pull from the creation, which you can and which you're able to and want to. And uh, that just informs some of the work is the original ways of being and, uh, and be, you know, being able to, uh, uh, yeah, I just can't find too many words for it. I just keep saying now forever, being now forever. And, and like I, to add to that, because I was like, that's so on point. These original ways of being, like sometimes the way we add the technology side to spiritual technology, is like a self appraisal sometimes to like the the innovation and the genius in it that doesn't always get praises that, like, casting a hood, doing like braid work, or tattoo work, things of that nature that don't necessarily get seen as innately genius. Like that shit is genius. And so the technology side of it isn't really for the external, it's for like the internal to be like, you gotta see that as like, a, that's circuitry, that's, that's innovation. And that innovation is as valuable as like academically mm. accredited, you know what I'm saying? Like mm. innovation, man, that's valuable. Yes. And so like those two words coming together, I think is really important because it's both in your blood, it's innate, it's not something you had to go earn from some like institution that could try to tell you you're valuable. And also it's genius. That's like genius level stuff. Wow. So we just, we really particular about putting the two words together because that's how it feels. That leads me to wonder how are, how are you as artists, as, as people in Detroit responding to um, the pandemic that we're in right now? There's, is this, you know, stripping away and lots of questions about 
capitalism and worth and and um and obviously you know a huge amount of grief and inequities going around so what's going on um in your minds and in your art practice given the the times that we're living in now um, i don't know it's like a it's bittersweet mm. it's bittersweet what's the bitter and what's the sweet like cuz for some maybe most it's a gift to being able to maybe be supported and be at home and not really like bend you back to be alive. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, that's a gift as well, but um, it's also bitter cause like people, you know, people are dead. So it's like, uh, that's, that's a lot more pain for those their family members. So it's bittersweet like that. Like, you know, um, I was, I was collecting medicine I think before the state lockdown, which was like March, like somewhere between in March, and I was collecting cedar, and um, which is like a sacred medicine and uh, it's important. And then, um, you know, I was just on that journey. I was like kind of going around the state. I was working on a project with land and water, and and you know when the the announcement came out and get it, you know, like people are like, yeah, there's a lockdown. I'm like, oh, well, shit, like, welcome to the hood, you know, like, <laughs> like, I just, I'm just like, whatever, you know, if, they, if there's no guns, I don't really know what they're talking about. So, like, I just continue to go on. And then, like, uh, I was working to get my grandfather and my great uncle together, uh, which is also, uh, I'm, I use Sacramento after one of my uncles. He's no longer with us, but they're brothers. So, um, and they had all those kinds of wild stories. So I was trying to get them together, but unfortunately my, my uncle, my great uncle passed on that, that very first day that they shut it down. And mm-hmm. like, I was like, oh wow. Like I was dreaming about cedar and collecting it. And then um, it's just, it's just terrible, you know? And then what cedar does, it helps with your uh, respiratory system. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I was collecting that and um, I, you know, and then when that happened, that just that just kind of kicked in more. I was like, all right, well, I'm gonna go talk, try to talk to the land real quick and see what kind of things is needed or wanted. And then, you know, I think that informed the rest of things. Like, because at first I, I was nervous because I think uh, I was I was receiving cancellations before like you know everything got wild, and I was just like, damn, I'm about to be dead. Like, like I don't know what I, you know, like. I don't know how these resources are coming from next. Like, mm. you know, like, like, damn, like thinking about that. And it's just like, man, like, other people get to utilize still, you know, just like as it's unfolding. And then all of a sudden they become like, everybody's in this, like a similar situation, uh, like watching for their health, looking for resources. I'm like, damn, I just feel like, you know, everyone's uh, like, they wel- like welcome to the, the lifestyle of the oppressed, you know? And and it had, it caused a great moment of reflection and being, and um, as this goes, like what are we in May now? Uh, we're in May now, and um, yeah, it's just been that's I guess to to wrap that up is like bittersweet because thing things is uh things has been nice, but it hasn't been nice, and you know, like I, I experienced a loss right at the beginning, mm. uh, but. You know, uh, we can confirm if it was COVID or not, but uh, that kind of just set, set off the the, the the seriousness of what, what what it is and what was coming. So, 
yeah, it's just bittersweet what's happening right now. Yeah, thank you for for sharing sharing all of that. Um, I think that there are so many of us who can relate to you know what you're going through and unpacking that word bitter and sweet for me is that was yeah <laughs> that was amazing and so you're also responding online though as well um you're showing work you know every week um how has that been for you kind of working in an online um platform and is it a response to quarantine situations or have you already been kind of moving towards more digital um work I have the capabilities to uh, stream and do that stuff. It's just, I haven't like uh, found the, I guess like necessity or the tool for it, you know? Mm. So it wasn't really uh, a thing or it wasn't a thing yet, right? It's just kind of experimenting. Um, But with those things, I had a friend, a good brother of mine, he was like, yo man, you used to go say some shit. And I was like, all right. Like he goes, you know, just do what you've been doing. Like provide some creation and vision and then like provide some conversation. So that's Mm. how it started with just to kind of continue and what was what the work is and to do our mm. best to uh, communicate and share with uh, the boundaries and things. Yeah, yeah, wow. Um, Sharina or um, Chase, do you would you like to kind of dive in and tell us, you know, what this has meant for you and for your practice? This has been this has been a surreal experience for us because I think that um, we've been preparing for this and not understanding that this would happen, but we've been preparing for something and something very big in in all the rituals. It felt like something was happening, um, and and in the Tetra's journey, being a freedom journey, we've been preparing for the bottom to fall out of the world as it is. Um, with the understanding that that we would like to churn the energy that's necessary to rebuild the world. Um, we didn't know it would look like this, and, and here we are, and it's um, surreal. It's horrible in some ways. Um, it's, it's horrible in many ways. And I think we're doing our best to navigate through all of the the shame and the grief and the fear and all of those things that have to come up in order to to create the world that we that our children deserve. Mm. So we we the tetras and ritual each day we do we send a daily ritual out um, each day and it holds space for people to navigate through like uh, rage or, mm. or just sadness or finding joy, trying to find joy or as not so wisely said, like the gifts of the moment, even when the moment is the most devastating um, that we've ever been through. Mm. So we're in daily practice. We believe that that such a huge thing, we can only come at it by taking small bites of it daily. Mm. So there's small daily rituals. So that's our first practice um, is within the Tetra. And then for Chase and I as artists, we are part of a collective um, that has created this site called Six Feet of Distance. (laughs) 
We, we actually feature both of your work as much as we can. Thanks. Six Feet of Distance is, um, it's kind of an archive for what Detroit artists are doing during the pandemic. We want to make sure since the entire arts economy has shifted, that we can build like a communal platform to make sure that everybody can find your work um, in all of this. So that's kind of how we're responding. We, we're looking at the pandemic as, as a time when art is the most necessary. Art is incredibly essential because it builds culture and we are going to have to be the ones together to choose what our culture will look like moving forward. And it's very obvious that the culture that we've had is not, it's not going to survive. Like education is falling down. The health system is falling down. Like all of these systems that have been lopsided and have overserved some and underserved too many, they're, they're falling. Mm. Yeah. Mm. True. And the culture creators will have to step forward in all of this and, yeah, and say, yeah. <laughs> this is what it's going to have to look like moving forward in order to be sustainable. Mm. So what is that, what does that future look like that um, Knox and Chase, uh, Sharina, what is that future that you want to see come out of, um, not just come out of COVID, but what's that future that you've been envisioning this, this entire time? <laughs> um, we do like like stuff like this. This is interesting. So like we have all these. We did like a whole like decolonization chart and all this. We've been doing kind of like imagining around this. I don't know. I I would like I would like a, a future a piloting a future as a friend has said to us, which I like the way it, that sounds and feels. Is that like artists are piloting these different futures, and I would like one that's inclusive, that's healthy, that kind of substitutes productivity for wholeness like we can get it work is necessary i would like for the body and for like the spirit and for the mind or the emotions to kind of have a lot of space to be healthy over whatever the system's need for productivity is um i would like the as we call it the glass to flip i think we were just talking about this <laughs> <laughs> the metaphor we were using somewhat is that like when you got certain minds or certain energies that are like you know far that are like we're fast we're moving fast we're creating we're imagining these futures artists are trying to constantly create and imagine these futures but the people who create policy are like you know Corollas <laughs> like they decide the speed limit they decide how fast you can go they take your resources, they build the freeways to that imagination, and you're constantly trying to imagine around it, it causes a lot of that progress to be slower. It leaves out a good deal of people who are trying to survive, and it gets real narrow. And so I would love a wider future. I would love a more fluid future. I would like one that's not always trying to box things very tightly and claustrophobically. Um, and it's one that, you know, doesn't exist in shame. That's what I would like one, if that makes any sense. I would like a future that's very fluid and it's like, you know what? If we messed up and made a wrong decision in this place, let's correct it. Let's take accountability and correct it. Yeah. I think we could do a lot of different things. We could branch out to a lot of different ways if we just started 
a very fluid future. Amen. <laughs> that's not trying, like, no, that's beautiful. A wider future, a fluid mm-hmm. future. Yes. And all of that. You, you in the simplest way. I can go on and on on this, but it's like my simplest, concise answer. That's beautiful. And I think one of the things you said, um, a future that, you know, where we're um, substituting productivity for wholeness, it's relevant now more than ever is, you know, people ask the question about economy, economy versus lives. So, right. <laughs> like, it just sounds surreal at this point. Like, yo, if a couple people die to restart the economy, I guess that's just cool. Like, they're just showing, they don't have anywhere to hide. They're just showing their hands. And it's like, do you hear yourself? Mm-hmm. Like, you should record yourself on this. And it's really a wild time of, like, the system we find ourselves in that we've been, like, fighting. But a lot of us have to exist in, I think, have to have a life in and trying to navigate that that kind of dichotomy, which is really weird. Is now, like, the system really being able to, like, not hide behind. It's just the way it is. It's the most effective way. It's like, no, any system that's demanding that you just go back to work when it's not safe. Any place where it's, like, you don't deserve hazard pay. Any place where it's, like, Yo, if you just in the, in the sake of money is okay, it's not a future or a present that we we accept anymore. And we did accept before, but I think it's bringing a lot of other people who are like, I'm not an activist. I don't know how to fight this. I don't know what you want from me. Mm. To be like, I may not know, but I know I don't accept that. Mm. Mm. And so that time feels like it's changing. Mm. Yeah, yeah. You you all have been working in this in this space yeah just exploring like what what decolonization looks like and what you know a higher form of existence looks like so Knox can you share with us you know what what kind of future are you looking for um shit when I was thinking about this earlier I was like shit like oh, there's a long list we can say what this case. <laughs> right <laughs> like, how much time we got yeah so I was like damn well all right well but uh, I think just to sum it all up, I think, because it, it's, you know, there's a lot that comes to it. And I think it's the relationship to the land. And that's, mm-hmm. I would say, that's a good anchor point. Like, uh, what does that look like? Like, reestablish what that means, you know? Like, imagine if everybody, like, there's a state order, like, everybody gets some seeds. You got to make food on your front lawn instead of mow it, you know? Like, can you yeah. imagine that? Like, that was like orders, like, well, that might be, that's kind of fucked up saying if you don't plant, then you get fined. But you know what I'm saying? Like, like that, like the culture of like, just working with that fear that happens, like that you have to, uh, that the colonial empire has to say we have to do sometimes. So it's just looking at uh, the future of that, as I say, the relationship to the land. So if more and more people know that there's resources with it, I think that uh, that's the beginning of a new future. Um, and it already is happening. There's tons. I feel like it just needs to, constantly spread more there's many many layers so uh i think it's part of the work of the activism organizing is inflating not inflating but moving those layers up and around so that we have this whole fullness of uh, collectivity happening and i would say that that's it the land you know because the land goes with how your dignity is and where your life is you know the land gives to you you know you, you go back to the land you get your fruits and veggies and Shit, maybe you get your hot shields from the land too, but you know, like, <laughs> <laughs> it's a different way. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's just that, just new relationships to it. I, I think it's already happening, and people, people but yeah, I, I think that's what I'm looking forward to with this happening. Mm. Mm. 
we all of this is sparking like um lots of joy and excitement to to imagine um here we keep asking this question which i'll kick back to ryan the we're looking at building a world that is based and rooted upon like the land and rooted upon the idea that we have the right to exist. All of us have the right to exist and all of us have the right to have the things that we need um, to be here and standing upon that foundation, then the question becomes, what would a world look like that you don't have to escape? So I guess to your question, Ryan, I just, I pose that back to you. What would the world look like if you didn't have to escape it? Oh, wow. A world, you know, it's interesting because um, I think that I I try to think about um, our internal space, like our home space and a public space, I guess, within my work um, that is equitable. So our work with Sidewalk Detroit is really based on spatial equity. So how do you kind of strip away um, the barriers that make being outside or being yourself or being your fullest self inequitable? Um, so to be a person, a black or brown person, um, a woman in public space often is um, full of threats and full of like kind of dangers that you have to constantly navigate. How do you get out of this? And so our work is usually rooted in um, supporting artists just to kind of envision like a, a beautiful bubble in which there is freedom and creativity kind of flowing everywhere. So if we could have that kind of world in which, you know, once I step outside my door, um, I'm safe and not only safe, but um, feel that I can be the fullest expression of myself without judgment. Um, that's amazing. And I have to say that I dream, but the the idea that this kind of world could be a reality within my lifetime seems so far, far away. Um, I'm assumed to be a mother, and I hope that um, my child, you know, can just carry the torch, I guess, of the things that artists and activists and dreamers and believers are doing so much farther. You know, I think about the situation that we're in now and sometimes I'm like, how are we gonna get through this? But then I think about my ancestors and how they fought for a world that they would not see. You know, They fought for like a freedom, a certain type of freedom anyway of, of movement that they would never have, but, but they gave it to me. And so I do hope and kind of believe that at some point in this world <laughs> we'll have it. And I wonder what will come out of this pandemic now that a lot of the layers um, blinders have been pulled away. It's very obvious that America's kind of always been this way, but it's these situations are making it even more painfully obvious. So I do hope this sparks a revolution. And I do hope that maybe in our lifetime, we could see more pieces towards that beautiful future that we all deserve. So um, thank you all for inspiring me and just also doing the work that you have already been doing in bringing um, our ancestors, our spiritual practices, our sacred rituals of life um, into the world in a really um, unique and beautiful and creative and immersive way. And I'm super excited just to continue to see you know, what you all um, are working on and thinking on and doing 
um, in the future, now and into the future. We are going to close out this amazing conversation. So I am Ryan Myers Johnson, recording from Detroit, Michigan, looking towards the future. Thank you all so much. Thank you. Thank you. We are the Tetra, recording from Detroit, Michigan. Northwest side, represent. Looking towards the future. Uh, this is Sacramento Knox coming from Detroit, a.k.a. Wauwiatsano, and I'm looking forward towards the future of the next seven generations. Thank you for listening. AXD Living X podcast is a production of Root of Two and made possible with support from the Kresge Foundation. Mixed and edited by Red Carpet Lounge. Music for the series is by Pamela Wise. To find out more about the projects and artists, visit artxdetroit.com and download the companion Living X catalog featuring all 22 commissioned AXD works.